chapter 9, we left off in verse 31. Let's pray together. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Father, as we think about journeying through this life and stepping into eternity, we know that that's going to be reality. And we pray that our our hearts would be drawn closer to you tonight, Jesus. You know where each of us is at, our, our joys and our struggles and everything in between. And as we see your movement in the book of Acts, Lord, the Holy Spirit being poured out, we pray that in our lives we would experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you leading us, guiding us, and transforming us. Lord, for those needs that are in our lives, we lift those up to you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I opened up an email today that was from Family Life Ministries. Dennis Rainey sent out an update, and they're based out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And as you know, there's the tornado that came through Little Rock, Arkansas. And they have a man on their staff that's been on their staff uh, for many years, and the tornado went right through his house. He has nine children from age 20 down to, to age an infant, and uh, he was passed away. He went home to be with the Lord, as well as two of his daughters, his 20-year-old daughter and his 14-year-old daughter. They heard alarms that went off, and the dad was trying to get everybody underneath the stairwell. And it really hit me. It was sobering to me to stop and, and think about, here's this family gathered together, doing their family thing, and here comes a tornado, and then three of them are in eternity. And tonight we sang, as we journey to eternity, sometimes you don't get notice. Sometimes it's your time to go home to be with the Lord, and God does give, and He takes away. And it's sobering when we look at our lives, but also the lives of others. And it's why this section of Scripture And all scripture is so important because we want to make sure that as many people as possible can go to heaven with us. And the outline, the theme of the book of Acts is the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Jesus had passed away, risen from the dead, and he came to the disciples and said, here's your job. Here's your commission. I want you to go and make disciples of all of the nations. And as we've been studying the book of Acts, we've started to see that unfold. And that's our mission. Sometimes we get a little confused in the midst of the busyness of life, just trying to get through with all the demands of life. What's my purpose and why am I here? To love Jesus and to make him known. I'd like to remind you of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's also the outline for the book of Acts. The gospel went out first in Jerusalem, then Judea, which is the larger region, then which is Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we find ourselves in that position of the book of Acts, where now the gospel's starting to go out throughout Israel and other portions of the world. If you were here with us last week, we looked at the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Now, in verse 31, the attention's going to shift from Paul to Peter, and it's going to take us through some events at the end of chapter 9 and into chapter 10. So join me in verse 31. It says, Then the churches throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, 
they were multiplied. They have peace because no longer is Saul coming against them in persecution. We've seen the conversion. We've seen the radical transformation that's happened in Paul's life. Now Paul is headed toward Tarsus. He's headed up north on a missionary journey beginning that period of his life and there's peace amongst the churches and it's throughout Israel. Judea, Galilee, which is the northern regions of the Sea of Galilee, Samaria, which is in between Judea and Galilee. There was peace and they were edified. Notice the two things that they were walking in. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? It's a respect for God, standing in awe of who God is. Where we understand that God's all-powerful and almighty. There's something about God that should cause us to tremble. But also being in fear of God because of his love for us. Not wanting to do anything that hurts God's heart. As we look at the scriptures in totality, the fear of the Lord is one of the very important things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's our attitude before God. They were walking in this fear of the Lord. But they were also walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It almost seems like those two don't go together. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But they go together perfectly. A good godly parent, there's a certain fear that comes and understanding they love me enough to bring the consequences but I'm not afraid that they're going to hurt me. And there's this wonderful balance of respect, but also comfort. And this is what the early church was walking in. And hopefully this is what we're walking in tonight, that we're walking in respect of the Lord, but also comfort of the Holy Spirit. What do you need to be comforted in tonight? There's plenty of material. Life provides us with enough bruises and cuts and wounds and bumps to where we constantly need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Then notice they were multiplied. God's doing something throughout Israel. He's adding to the church. He's bringing people to himself. This is what we desire for the church today, is that God would multiply the church unto himself. It's his work. Verse 32, now this focus upon Peter. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. Peter's on the move. He's traveling through Israel looking for those opportunities that God would have for him. It's true in our lives as well. If we desire to be used by the Lord as we're traveling through life, as we're making movements through the city, as possibly even you're on vacation this summer, you're looking to minister. You're looking, what is the Holy Spirit doing? And that's exactly what Peter was doing. And he comes down to the saints. Now, when you think of saints, who do you think of? It was in the news this week, the new pope, he picked two saints, didn't he? Two that have deceased, and in the Catholic Church, you then have reached the ultimate state of you walked with God, so now you're a saint. That's not really the biblical perspective. The biblical perspective is if you're in Christ, you're a saint. We look at Paul's introduction to the churches, and he referred to them as saints. Now, if your name is Bernard and you're Saint Bernard, that's a little bit unfortunate, but it's true. We oftentimes don't think of ourselves this way. We think if we try hard enough, if we reach a certain level of spirituality, then we're a saint. God says the moment that you're in Christ, you're a saint. So he went down to see the saints, those who are in Christ, 
who dwelt in Lydia. When you think of Israel, think of the portion right on the Mediterranean Sea. You have Caesarea, which is the main seaport, and then you come down to Gaza. Maybe you hear Gaza Strip in the news, and that's the Palestinian territory today. In the Old Testament, that's where the Philistines were, were in the Gaza Strip. And Lydia is in between Gaza and Caesarea along the coastline. Lydia is just a little bit in off of the coast. That's where Peter goes to. In verse 33, there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately. Peter hadn't arrived to this place in ministry where he didn't minister to people one at a time. He hadn't gotten so big that he didn't have time for individuals. That was the same with Christ, isn't it? When we look at Christ's ministry, there's more recordings of Christ's one-on-one interactions with people than what we would consider to be his public ministry. He sees this man who's bedridden for eight years. We don't have the details. Some things happened in his life, though. He wasn't born this way. Some accident, some disease, he's paralyzed. He's bedridden for eight years. Think about what you were doing eight years ago. And think about being in bed for eight years. The possible bed sores. He didn't have the modern things that we have today to make this a little bit more manageable. Peter sees him and senses that God's doing something. Speaks to him in faith and says, Jesus the Christ heals you. It wasn't Peter that was healing him. It was Christ who was healing him. Arise, make your bed. These are an impossible command that's given to this man. How can he arise and make his bed? The man responds in faith. Then he arose immediately. And as he responds in faith, God brings about this supernatural healing. I don't think that Peter went around to every city throughout Israel, finding every paralyzed man speaking these words of healing to them. This is something the Holy Spirit is doing in this particular situation. It won't serve you well or Christ well if you go up to every paralyzed person and say, in the name of Jesus, arise and be well. Or take up your bed, make up your bed. Today's your your day of healing. Peter could speak this with confidence because he knew that this is what God was doing. He's walking in the Spirit. He's following the Holy Spirit. It does give us encouragement if we know that the Spirit is leading us to step out in faith. What's the reaction to this healing in verse 35? So all who dwelt in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So we have two communities that upon seeing this man being healed from his paralyzation, they turned to God in faith. That was the purpose of the healing was so that God would be seen, so people would turn and glorify the Lord. When people see the work that God's done in our lives, hopefully they turn to Jesus Christ. They go, I know what this guy was like before he received Christ, before Christ got a hold of his life, and turned to the Lord in faith. Verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This is also on the seacoast region and the same general area of Israel, right along the the Mediterranean. We have a lady named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Now, if you're taking notes, you might just want to write here by verse 36, unfortunate translation. (laughs) Tabitha is such a nice, pretty name, and then it gets translated Dork, us. 
Dorcas. We do a lot of baby dedications, and we've never had a Dorcas yet to dedicate unto the Lord. A certain disciple named Tabitha. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Her life was typified with serving others. Charitable deeds, taking care of others, practical service. Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, 16, says, let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. So as we serve people, as we care for people, as we do charitable deeds, good works, our Father is glorified. That was Tabitha, verse 37. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And since Lydia was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to him. They cared for Tabitha greatly. She loved them, and in return, there was a great loss. They said, we've got to get Peter here. Tabitha has just died. Verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. When he'd come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the, wind, all the widows stood by him weeping showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. First, Peter's available. Not only was Peter not such a big shot that he didn't have time for one person, but he allowed the Lord to dictate his schedule. Here comes this woman who died, and the church is saying, Peter, would you come? And, and Peter's available to go. We always want to be available to what God may have for a particular day. What do they bring to Peter? They show the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. She was known for her tangible acts of love. She was one who loved to sow, and this was used to glorify the Lord. You think about people who really care for others, and it stands out, doesn't it? My dad, he is an engineer by background and by trade, and he's just really good at fixing stuff. That's how he's, how he's wired. So he really shows love by coming over to your house and helping you fix something. In the last month or so, we've been working on my deck on some of my days off. If you've ever had that happen with your 4x4 posts, my 4x4 posts on my deck were rotting out. They'd been just sitting in the ground uh, too long. And so the deck was just starting to, to sag. And it actually had about an 8 to 10 inch sag on the front. So he figured out this whole system and how the two of us could jack it up and get some blocks, some cement blocks under new four by four posts. And I know that when my father does go home to be with the Lord, that's what I'm going to remember. All these acts of love that he did for caring for people. And a lot of times we think, well, you've got to be a pastor to be used by God. Or if you're not a pastor, then at least you have to work for a nonprofit organization and then you can be used by God. And the Lord needs people to be pastors and he needs people to work at places like Compassion and Focus on the Family. But you know what he also needs? He needs people who like to sow, who give that to others in Jesus' name. He needs people that know how to fix decks and do it in Jesus' name. When your car breaks down, you don't really need a pastor. You don't want to call me to come work on your car. I'll give you a ride, but man, your car is going to be in worse condition if I get under the hood. You need a mechanic. And so God's gifted us all in different ways. And we find Tabitha, she loved people in the way that she was gifted. And those acts of love are remembered. Verse 40, but Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. 
Peter wants to know what God is going to do in this situation. In heartache and tragedy, it's important to get alone with the Lord. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Again, he senses what God wants to do in this situation. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. What a moment for Peter, right? It's been a couple good days for Peter. Here's this paralyzed man, Aeneas, and God gives him his legs back. And now here's Tabitha, and she raises from the dead. It's important to internalize these stories a little bit. We see God's victory over the grave here. And it reminds us of the resurrection for all believers. And if you've lost a loved one in Christ, to know that death hasn't had the final word. Also, it reminds us of the power of God to resurrect our dead lives now. You're saying, Eric, what are you talking about? When you receive Christ as your Savior, you are dead to sin and alive to God. And it's his resurrection power that gives us hope over victory in sin. Verse 41, then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Say, I got a surprise for you. Tabitha, she's still with you. Verse 42, and it became known throughout all of Joppa and many believed on the Lord. Once again, the purpose for the miracle was so people would see the power of God and come into relationship with God. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. God is getting Simon Peter in the exact place that he needs to be as he's with Simon the tanner. This is all leading into chapter 10, that he would be in Joppa, that he'd be Simon the Tanner's house. Many dead animals with the Tanner, to the point where the Mishnah, which was the Jewish regulations, it's extra biblical, they would write down the rules. Check this out. If you were married to a Tanner, ladies, if your husband was a Tanner, then you automatically had a free pass on divorce. You didn't have to have a biblical reason. It was just such a gross and stinky occupation. If you're like, I cannot get used to how this guy smells, I'm going to go ahead and divorce him. Then according to the Mishnah, not according to the Bible, you had a free pass. And this is where Simon Peter is staying. And God's using this location to prepare Peter for what he had. And we'll see that in chapter 10. So let's turn the page, chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Just up the coastline, Caesarea, the major seaport city, we find Cornelius. Now he's a centurion, meaning that he's an officer in the Roman Empire, a master sergeant with soldiers serving underneath him. Every time that you see a centurion in the New Testament, they're found in a positive light, which is interesting. We find in Luke chapter 7, there's, there's a centurion that sent word to Jesus and said, if you just say that my servant is healed, you don't even have to come to my house. I trust your word. And Jesus said, I haven't found greater faith in all of Israel. Also in Matthew 27, there was a centurion that was in charge of the crucifixion of Christ, and he had a confession of faith. Behold, this must be the Messiah. This must be the Son of God. And now here in Acts, we find another centurion that God looks on in a favorable way. Verse 2, it gives us his character, his resume. A devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So he was a committed, faithful man. 
He feared God. He had a faith in God and a respect for God. And this translated to his household. It doesn't always work this way, but more often than not, as there's a fear of God in our lives, then that's going to be passed on to our children. That was true in Cornelius' life. He was generous. He liked to give. He was blessed as a Roman officer, and he would share that with others. He also liked to pray always. He had a lifestyle of prayer. But notice, there's something missing. He doesn't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So fearing God and doing good is not enough for salvation. You can have someone who is a good moral person. They're a devout person. They're a person of prayer. They're giving. They have a good relationship with their kids, but that's not enough to get you to heaven. Cornelius was still a sinner. He needed a savior. And this is the story of Cornelius's introduction to Jesus Christ. It may be more difficult for a person like Cornelius to come to Christ because sometimes they don't see their need for Jesus. Not the case for Cornelius. Verse three, about the ninth hour of the day, which is three in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. So God gives this vision of an angel to Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and says, what is it, Lord? As a Roman officer, I doubt that there was too many things that Cornelius was afraid of. It's almost an act of God for any man to admit that they're afraid. Well, I'm not afraid. That wasn't me who just jumped at the spider. That was somebody else who jumped at the spider. I wasn't crying in the movie. I don't know what you're talking about. I just had some onions. There were, did you smell those onions in the theater? I wasn't crying. And Cornelius, he was afraid. He was wet in his pants right here, verse 4. Because he sees this angel, this vision of the angel, and he says, what, what is it, Lord? If he had this response to an angel, imagine what response we'll have to the presence of God, to, to seeing the Lord. The angel speaks to him, and he, so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for memorial before God. God had seen his prayers and his gifts, and it was a memorial to God. What's a memorial? It's a sweet remembrance. So when God thought of Cornelius, he had sweet remembrance of Cornelius because of his prayer and also his gifts to the poor. Verse 5, this is the instruction that he gives. So send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. How come the angel just didn't bust down on the gospel? Say, hey, Cornelius, you're a great guy. God honors your gifts. He honors your prayers. But you need to receive Christ as your Savior. This is what Jesus has done for you. Why didn't the angel do that? Because God has given the gospel to the church. It's our job. Angels could do it better. Angels would be more faithful than me. They'd be more bold than I am. But God says he wants to use us. He wants to use the church. He wants to use Peter. Also, I think this gives... Cornelius an act of faith. This gives Cornelius an opportunity to respond to the word of God. It's always good for someone to have to take initiative, to follow a a directive. Will Cornelius follow through? In verse 7, and when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. He gets the A team. He gets his executive team, if you would his faithful trusted. And he says, I want you to go and do do this. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Guys, I need you to go get Simon, who's staying with Simon the Tanner. 
The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So they're getting close to Joppa. They're getting close to Simon the Tanner's house. And Peter goes up at the sixth hour, which is noon. Noon is what? It's lunchtime. I start getting hungry for lunch at about 11 o'clock. Anybody else that get that? It's like this hunger just comes over me and start thinking, I, I need to start planning for lunch. And 11.30 comes, and that's a good time to have lunch. By the time noon comes, if I haven't had lunch, I'm starting to eat my hand, you know, battling getting a little bit grumpy. And, and Peter's at this point in the day, he goes up to the top of the house in the Middle East. The top of the house is a very pleasant place. It's like a deck, and he begins to pray. I like this. We, you may be in the habit of meeting with the Lord in the morning to begin the day. That's wonderful. It's great also to meet with the Lord at lunchtime. Great to be able to end the day in fellowship with the Lord. And Peter's taking this chance, this opportunity to draw near to God. In verse 10, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. I like Peter. His appetite's getting going and he's hungry. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw Heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. It's barbecue time. Get out the barbecue sauce. It's time to go. Rise, kill and eat. Now remember... Where is he at? He's at Simon the Tanner's house where they're killing animals all the time to get the skin and to tan the hides. He's thinking, what in the world's wrong with me? What's going on? Here I'm in this place of slaughter with the butcher and now here's this vision with this sheet and in the middle of this sheet are all these kinds of unclean animals. That's listed here. Pigs, mice, bats, camel, raven, vultures, insects that are unkosher to be able to eat, then the voice of God comes to Peter and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, what's Peter's response? But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I'm a good kosher boy. I followed the law of Leviticus. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. What's happening here? Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter is a Jew. Jews and Gentiles didn't have anything to do with each other. A tremendous prejudice. If you were a Jewish person, you would never invite a Gentile into your home. You would never sit down and have a meal with a Gentile. This was difficult for Peter even prior to this moment. We know at one point that Paul rebuked Peter because Peter would eat with Gentiles until Jewish believers would come around and then all of a sudden he'd say, I don't want to be seen eating with a Gentile. When God said, I want you to go to all of the nations and make disciples, that God loves and has died for everyone, he meant it. Yet the Jewish church was having a hard time going to the Gentiles. And God's speaking to Peter and he's saying, I want you to go to Gentiles. And that's what's being revealed to Peter as we read. What you consider to be unclean. If I've called it clean, you don't call it unclean. 
That's the lesson in this passage for us, is to see God's heart for people, you included. Sometimes you may look at yourself and go, well, I'm common. You're not common to the Lord. God created you. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He has a great plan for you. There may be somebody else that we look at and go, well, they're common. They're unclean. And God goes, nope, I love them. I died for them. I have a heart for them. I want you to have a heart for them. So verse 17 Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. God's timing is perfect. It is out of this world, isn't it? God's given this dream to Peter at the perfect moment, this vision, this trance that has taken place. And here comes the messengers from Cornelius' house. The doorbell rings while Peter is thinking about this trance, this vision that he's just had. Verse 18, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Simon was his given name by his parents. Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means rock. Simon means shifting sand. Well, Peter thought about the vision the Spirit said to him. So now the Spirit speaking to him after this vision, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Why does the Spirit have to speak to Peter? Because there's no way that Peter's going to go with three Gentiles unless the Spirit speaks to him. What we find here is God is working on both ends. He's working on Cornelius, but he's also working on Peter. And if God's working through angels and visions, he's going to be working on both parties. Sometimes you hear of a single guy who goes to a single gal in the fellowship and says, well, God's really told me that we're going to be married. Well, the only problem is God hasn't told her. (laughs) And she's like, I don't think so, Buster. God hasn't spoken to me. And God's not working here in both directions, in both parties. If it's the Lord and God's really speaking, he's going to be speaking to the guy, but he's also going to be speaking to the gal as well. And we see God working on, on both ends. In verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to this house and to hear the words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. Now this vision is starting to make sense to Peter. God's not talking about the food. He's talking about the Gentiles. Will Peter open up his heart to the Gentiles? Peter responds and invites these three Gentiles to come into his house and lodge with them. Again, this is against Jewish tradition and Jewish custom. You'd be an outcast if you invited Gentiles into your home. And Peter says, come on in. And they come into Simon the Tanner's house. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanying him. Peter doesn't go alone. I wonder if Peter's worried about if he's going to get in trouble. Did you hear what Peter did? He's hanging out with Gentiles. Peter says, I'm bringing some company along with me. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. So they traveled to Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Don't you love that? Cornelius has faith and expectation that God's going to move. All he knows is the angel has said, send for Peter. 
He's trusting that Peter's going to come, that Peter's going to give him a message from God. We should have that kind of expectation in our relationship with the Lord. When we open up the word, God, I expect you to speak to me. I expect for you to, to work. In verse 25, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. Cornelius makes a mistake here. And he bows down before Peter. Peter very wisely does not receive this worship that's supposed to be directed towards the Lord. We never want to touch or take or play with or flirt around with God's glory, always directing it towards the Lord. There's something in Cornelius and there's something inside of all of us where we want to worship a man. We want to worship a person. We want to elevate people. And we talk about this from time to time. Hopefully you're founded in it. Don't put your faith in a person. They'll let you down. They're a fallen sinner. Every leader that we've ever had, every mentor that's in our life, we're thankful for them, but we follow Jesus Christ, amen? We worship Jesus Christ. He's the only one that won't let us down. Peter says, stand up. I myself am also a man. Verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go one to of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Notice it's Jewish law. It's not biblical law. It's not God's word. God's always had a heart for the nation. He set up the temple so that the nations of the world could come. But Jewish law had come to, you can't spend time with, with Gentiles. We need to evaluate in our own hearts, is there someone or some group of people that we've become prejudiced against? We'd never say it out loud, but God's love's for everybody except them, except this person, except that group of people. Who are the outcasts or the Gentiles of Colorado Springs? Who is it that maybe the Christian community has the reputation of, well, they won't go around them. They won't love them. They won't tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. We're never to compromise, but we're to be ones that take the gospel to sinners. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Why? Because he said, they're the ones that need the physician. And it seems sometimes, unfortunately, I battle this as well. The longer that we know Christ and the longer that we're in the church, we no longer have a relationship with people who don't know Christ and people who are, are messed up. And again, you want to be careful that you're not compromising but we want to be loving those people that are unlovable. We want to be loving the, the outcasts. The Gentiles were those outcasts. And Peter learned this lesson. In verse 29, Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for, and I asked, Then for what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius now tells Peter what had happened in his life. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and, I, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Have you ever heard someone say that God doesn't hear the prayers of unbelievers? Well, he sure heard Cornelius, and Cornelius didn't know Christ. It shows us that God does hear the prayers of unbelievers. In verse 32, send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. 
So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Talk about a God opportunity, a divine appointment, right? Uh, Yeah, so this angel told me to send for you, and we're all ears. We just want to listen to what God has put on your heart. Tell us, pretty much just tell us how to be saved. We're ready to be saved. I love it when God does that. I've seen that happen. I've seen people come to Rocky Mountain Calvary, and I'm almost trying to talk them out of getting saved because they're so eager to get saved. And then it dawns on me, God's doing something here. I just need to introduce Jesus Christ to them. This is a God working, a God movement, a God opportunity. Look at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. God's not a respecter of persons. God is created all, loves all, has died for all. Peter then now shares the gospel. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word which you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by the hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. The gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again three days later for our sins, according to the scripture. Not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God. So he revealed himself to those witnesses, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that is he who was ordained by God to judge of the living and the dead. Christ is the one who does the judging. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Do you ever get tired of hearing that? Let me read it again. Through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remissions of sin, Jews and Gentiles. Jews being those born in Israel who are ethnically Jews. Gentiles is everybody who's non-Jewish, the rest of us. Jesus died for the Jew and the Gentile, whoever believes. It's through grace that we're saved by believing in the name of Jesus. Isn't that so simple? Isn't there a tendency to want to add to that? But you can't add to it. This is the gospel. Whoever believes in his name receives the remission of sins, the removal of sins, the forgiveness of sins. Check this out, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. The Spirit moves. When was the Spirit moving? As the word of God was being taught. The Spirit of God moves through the word of God. In verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Peter's little group that came with him, they're blown away. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Peter didn't even get to give 
the altar call. You know what I'm saying? He didn't even get to the part where he's like, hey, if you'd like to receive Christ, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If, if you'd like to come to know Christ your Savior, you can come down here in the front. Hey, there's a ministry team over here. And why don't you come and pray with somebody? On the... He didn't even get to that part. God did it. Even in the midst of when Peter was speaking the word. Have you noticed Peter is in the habit of getting interrupted? The father interrupted Peter. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's talking some foolishness, and the father says, Peter, stop, listen to him. Stop talking, listen to Jesus. And now Peter's given his message, and it seems like he's just kind of getting into it, and the Holy Spirit falls, and the Holy Spirit moves. And these group of Gentiles, Cornelius, his household, their friends, those that he gathered, in their hearts, when Peter said, believe in his name and there'll be remission of sins, they responded. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. God saved them. He filled them with the Spirit. They begin in that moment to speak in tongues. As they're speaking with tongues, they begin to magnify God. When you see tongues, it's always in magnifying of the Lord. It's always in glorifying the Lord. The good old boys, the Jewish believers, they were blown away that God could save these Gentiles. This is just as much a lesson for these Jewish believers as it is for the Gentiles, that God loves everyone, that God saves Gentiles. So Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So you can almost hear Peter's jaw dropped. These guys have received the Spirit, received salvation the same way as us. There's no difference. God loves Jew and Gentile. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him, to stay a few days. We find many times in the New Testament when someone has come to know Christ as their Savior, there's a desire to be baptized. We saw that with the Ethiopian eunuch a few weeks back. He received Christ. There's water right there. Be baptized. You don't have to take a class to be baptized. You have to know Christ as your Savior. You've got to believe just like these people. Notice that there wasn't, hey, are you guys serious about this? Do you really mean it? Okay, well, let's give it eight weeks, and then if we see that you really have meant it, you can get baptized. They saw genuine faith. They saw the evidence of the Spirit. They said, be baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is that public declaration that your life belongs to Christ. It's like a wedding ring. What saved them was their faith in Christ. The proclamation of that faith was baptism. It's identification with Christ. I'm buried with Christ and risen in newness of life. If you know Christ as your Savior, what are you waiting for? Be baptized. Sign up for that baptism on June 1st. Every once in a while, we'll have someone call the church office and say, man, I just can't wait till June 1st. I need to be baptized. And we fill up the baptismal, which is a horse trough. That's our baptismal here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. How do you know if you go to Rocky Mountain Calvary? One of the ways is that you've been baptized in a horse trough. So we'll set that up for you and we'll put it in a classroom and we'll baptize you. We had a young man a few months back. He's like, I got to be baptized. I can't wait. It's time. Let's do this. We're like, okay, well, let's set it up. We won't take you down to Pueblo Reservoir. That's a little bit too dirty. We just won't do that. But we'll fill up the, I'm joking, if you like Pueblo Reservoir. <laughs> the Lord bless you. You won't see me down there. <laughs> but the point is, if you desire to be baptized, be baptized. Come to us and we'll arrange for that. Get signed up for June 1st. So what can we take away from these chapters that we've read, this chapter and a half that we have, have gone through? 
First, like Peter, avail yourself to what God wants to do. Walk in obedience to the things that he puts on your heart. And is there somebody that's on the Gentile list? Be honest. Take some time to think and pray about it. Because our first response is, oh, no, no, no. no. Me? Prejudice. Never. Somebody else. That, that's somebody else who's prejudiced. But, but I'm not prejudiced. I think God's love's for everyone. I think God has created them. He loves them. He died for them. But maybe there is a, a group of people that you'd say, you know what? God could send me to any place on the planet, but not to them. Do you know what Jonah's difficulty was in the calling that God had given him? Is he was being called to a group of people that he was prejudiced against because they were the enemies of Israel. The Assyrians had done horrific things to the nation of Israel. And here, God was speaking to Jonah, I want you to go to them. And in Jonah's heart, he preferred judgment for the Assyrians, not God's forgiveness. He knew the character of God. He knew that God was long-suffering and gracious and kind. His biggest concern was, God, that you're going to forgive these people. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a person. It's somebody that's on your list that every time you hear their name, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Like, oh, why did you have to say their name again? And God's quietly through his spirit saying, you know what? I love them. I died for them. If they're in Christ, they're in Christ. Forgive them. If they're not in Christ, may we pray that they would be in Christ, even if they've hurt us. And all of a sudden, this gets a lot more close to home. There's probably some Gentile or some group of Gentiles inside of all of our hearts. You know, what comes to your heart and mind when I say the term radical Muslim, jihadist, terrorist? Are they on our prayer list? Do we long that they would know the love of God? Or do we put them in another category and we secretly desire God's judgment because of some things that terrorists have done to the United States of America? We say, Lord, okay, I get it now. It's, it's more closer to home for me. We can be praying for our missions team that has left to go to Detroit. They landed. They're going to be ministering to some Muslims in Hamtramck, Michigan, that God would really give them love for them, that they would maybe have some moments like this some Cornelius and Peter type of moments. But we know this, eternity's real and God wants to reach people. So let's, let's pray together. Father.